0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Offensively Offensive. I, Sean D., am joined, as always, by Tom Turner and Nate Schuster. We are going to cover the Baylor game from this past Saturday down in Waco that I was at, so I'll kind of talk through that a little bit, talk about the game itself, and then get into Texas and maybe preview TCU if we have time. So, Tom and Nate, what's going on, guys? Not much. Uh, Past two games, some was
1: good, some was bad uh coming out of that road trip as 1-1 I think everybody accepts the win there but we'll come back home against TCU and kind of make a statement on the league if we can sweep them again and kind of put our foot on the gas
2: horns down forever we won the last one
0: eternal scoreboard we got that eternal scoreboard all right we have a lot to cover so let's jump right in so On Saturday, Iowa State traveled down to Waco to play against Baylor and narrowly loses a close game, 70-68. Milan Monchilovich's banked-in buzzer beater was about two-tenths of a second late, and Iowa State loses a tight one. So biggest thing from this game, obviously, is Iowa State was down to Baylor through most of the first half, struggled to kind of get their footing throughout the game. Um, I felt like they played okay on offense, but were really propelled in the second half by a series of technicals by Scott Drew, which was his second. And then eventually the replacement for Scott Drew picks up another technical. Iowa State in that stretch goes on a 20 to nothing run and takes the lead 61 to 54 with just under eight minutes remaining. And then a back and forth game ensued until we get down to the wire in Milan makes the buzzer beater that is just long. So a lot to break down um for starters. Uh Milan had 10 points, but obviously the story here is Keyshawn Gilbert's 24. Uh Keyshawn was seven of 12 from the field and made five of his six threes, which was one of his better outings on the year. Um, but besides that, Iowa State really struggled from the free throw line, going Fifty nine percent from the line in 19 of 32 in losing a game. Obviously, by two, you never want to see that. Bob Jones was four of ten from the line. So he was kind of the chief uh, driver of our uh, non-success from the line. But Taman Lipsy, only two of four and Keyshawn Gilbert, five of eight from the line. So kind of a lot to talk about there. We've got Iowa State's offense. We've got Baylor. We've got the couple technicals, the weird game, the ref show. So I don't know where we want to start, but Tom, go for it.
1: I'll kind of deep dive a little bit into what I thought the reason we lost, not the full percentage wise, but a big chunk of it was kind of our front court. Bob Jones was four of 10 from the line. Trey King was one of eight from the field and Hassan Ward fouled out. So we're not that deep there because the only other guy that's really playing minutes is Watson. So when Our best defensive big guy, Ward, is fouling out. That puts us in the scenario where Rob Jones has to be in the game where you could tell, even if you weren't there, that his confidence was gone. And that carried over to the Texas game. And it was just the way our guys were getting beaten down low. Offensive boards, they had 11 offensive rebounds in the first half. It was between that, getting bullied, and just not making these Easy passes. The first three minutes of the game, Trey King missed a wide-open layup. Rob Jones had two bunnies that he missed. Like, they were contested, but you're a big guy in Division I basketball. you got to make those. So, for me, it was just that front line. I personally didn't think they came to play that well, and it really showed. And then another fact, along with the free throw shooting that was just horrendous, was Gilbert was the only guy who made a three-point shot, and we lost by two. Now, you can go to Milan, who, you know, was 0 for 2 from behind the arc, and he had that miss by 0.2 seconds. But Trey King wasn't able to hit one. Lipsy couldn't get an open shot, and for him it's mostly just having to seat fe- seat, his feet set. Oh, my bad there. And then Gilbert, too, was really struggling with their pressure. So I kind of see it both ways. Not shooting the ball well is going to affect you if you're winning in the margins, and then if you're getting destroyed down low, you're not going to win
2: on the Big 12 on the road. Yeah, I like, I like that, Tom. And the other piece to this is I think we talked about this as a group last time we were on this was Misi was going to be a huge factor in this game, and he finished with four blocks in a two-point game. And, yes, that's great, and I think this game was poorly officiated both sides. I think it played an impact. I think both teams should be pretty proud of the fact that they were able to keep this game competitive. Uh, and the other thing, too, how often do you see a 20-0 run in the loss? Like, it's just a weird game overall, and then- I thought.
0: Ever. So what's, I, I, let's start with the ref stuff because I think it's it's worth discussing. So obviously in the first half, Scott Drew gets teed up for being outside of the coach's box. Again, the man, I guess, is a saint. He probably has never sworn in his life. It's probably about the only way that he could get ejected, if we're being totally honest, because he's not going to be the guy that bitches out some ref over a bad call. Okay, So he's told he gets the tee in the first half. I've said shoots free throws, yada, yada. Okay, we get to the second half. And I can't remember who exactly was shooting free throws for Iowa State or Baylor, but someone's down at the line shooting. Scott Drew gets down on one knee, and it's quite literally like a half of leg length above or past the coach's box line, okay? So he's down on one knee with his other leg extended past it. And you see the ref from across the court underneath the baseline, so not even the guy closest to him look up, look at him and hit him with the tee from across the floor. Eventually, I guess. So and in, in, in the video, you can see Scott drew, he hears the whistles and then he looks down real quick and then he kind of gets up on his feet. And then you see him look at his, at his bench. And he goes, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, it, it was a, it was an incredible show from the ref, right? Like the whole idea of having this rule is to keep coaches inside the box, keep them off the floor. Right. Like, In that moment, that was probably not the correct way to do that. Now, we learned after the fact that there was a memo sent from the Big 12 to their officials, and I think their coaches too, talking about the severity and the technique in which coaches need to be more aware of and officiated when it comes to being inside the box, because we've seen over the past couple weeks, just across NCAA basketball, you've got guys on the floor and playing defense and all that. And so I guess... I, I guess the ref was just literally going by the book, and there's a step-by-step process that was like, okay, first warning, go over to the coach, ask him to step back inside the box. Step two, issue a warning. Step three, issue another warning. Step four, tech. Step three, ejection. So, or step five, ejection. So I don't know. I was I was there, right? So I had absolutely no, I, I had no, no one had any idea what was going on. It was extremely confusing. Someone thought that he said something and then they their bench gets ejected after the second one it was i even watching it back on tv there there's no explanation for
2: most of it it's so weird to me that technical sequence because that call feels like you know a 10 second violation for a free throw like that yeah sometimes it happens but more often than not you're not going to call it you know what i mean yeah, it's just, like
0: says the bucks fan just saying
2: yeah, I'm not biased at all. Uh, but it's happened for others too. Uh, when I when I was growing up, I was I was a baseball umpire, and when you're umping kids, you're looking at these the balks. Like, yeah, the kids are going to balk, but don't call the chicken shit ones. That's a chicken shit tea, in my opinion. But I'm all for it because it helped us. But if it was my coach, I'd be freaking livid.
1: I think the word weird is the perfect way to describe this because. First of all, it was the official who was by the free throw line. And then it's not like the play was going on, because we've seen that before. Shaka Smart was a sixth defender when they were playing Creighton uh, like a month ago. That was during the play. Like here he was on, like he wasn't standing either. He was just kneeling down, talking, and the play wasn't going on. So like I'm on there. I thought it was weird, but obviously as an Iowa State fan wanting to win that game getting their head coach ejected, and then they have to go with their next best assistant coach. Um, Really put us in a situation to win. We go on a 20-0 run, end up losing. But overall, it was just a weird situation. And TJ did get a warning for the coach's box against K-State. And maybe that was like after that game, they sent out that memo. There's a lot of stuff going on. Iowa State's on a four-game streak where the opposing head coach has got a technical foul. So I don't know. It was just a weird situation.
0: It, I mean, on, on the other end, it was hilarious in arena. Like, I was dying laughing because no one had any idea what was going on. But I was like, hey, great call. You know, I'm sitting there, like, clapping. Like, hey, let's keep it going. Let's go stripes. Here we go. Here we go. Because I think we made eight free throws during that stretch. So, like, it was, it was about half our points on that 20-0 run. Um, obviously, it didn't end up working out in our favor because we might have – Made eight or attempted eight during that stretch. Maybe we made six out of those eight. Then in a mattering, right? Like we still lost, and so I guess there's some. If I'm a Baylor fan, you go all right. Well, at least you know we pulled this one out. But if you're an Iowa State fan, that happens. That's and it's the other way around. Like I don't think that those refs would have been. They wouldn't have made it out alive. This is the one place where you could
2: probably do that. I don't think they would let them fly out of the airports. They would just make them drive, just because they'd be so pissed. We wouldn't like hurt them or anything, but they just like really inconvenience them because we're Midwest nice.
0: A lot of passive passive aggressiveness. Yeah. Not sure I like that one, sir. Not sure I like that one. Yeah. So so we get we get to this point in the game and Iowa State is up they're up seven, right? Like I don't even know how that happened first and foremost. Well, besides the ref stuff, get to this point we're up. And it didn't feel like we deserved to be. We just felt like the beneficiaries of a really strange situation. I then mean, you're kind of looking around and you're going, Are we, we're we're 3 point away from being up double digits, and we're not even remotely playing as good as we could be. So I, I, I don't even – the first half, I thought – and I kind of hinted at this, the offense did play well. If you just kind of watched, Baylor played zone, and we, we did a really good job finding soft spots. But a theme that I've kind of noticed, especially from this game and then Texas a little bit, is our bigs kind of struggled to finish around the rim and sort of that mid-range area that's a little bit closer to the basket. I, Rob Jones, his little push shot is usually pretty decent. I didn't feel like it was on against Baylor and definitely wasn't against Texas. You know, Ward is a little bit less likely to take something like that. And Trey King, I would trust amongst those three to do that. But I feel like we executed, but just couldn't convert. I don't know if you all thought the same thing.
2: I think that's part of Messi being there. I mean, when you get a shot blocker of that caliber, you do think about it a little bit more. You know, hey, is this guy going to be around me? It's send it to the third row. But, yeah, some days you're just off too.
1: Uh, yeah, it's just one of those days where Baylor's defense kind of got the best of us when they weren't playing that well of defense going into that game, which was kind of shocking. But one part that did stand out was – We had that end-of-the-game scenario, Lipsy scores. TJ doesn't call a timeout to set up the defense. We see that later in the Texas game where he doesn't call a timeout to set up the offense. It works out. Here on defense, Lipsy scores the layup, but he still has plenty of time to get back. He does. But instead, he is about a couple feet by the half-court line. Their center sets a screen, and then he's just out of the play, and it's four on five. And then it's Trey King against a downhill guard and Jalen Nunn, who's just going to get past him every time. He happened to finish and get a three point play, which was huge. But Lipsy was nominated for one of the best defensive players in all of college basketball this couple hours ago. The I just don't understand. Maybe it's just a situ uh, situation awareness, but like he he was out of the play in two seconds after scoring the game tying layup there. I felt like he should have understood the assignment a little more. There's going to be a screen. Why are you that far up? There's eight seconds to go. I don't know. I would like your guys' opinion on that. I was pretty frustrated watching it back and seeing the way he was playing defense on that final possession.
2: Yeah, Sean, you go first.
0: I, uh, I, I I agree with you, but I think it's easier said than done. Um, Like, I don't, I don't think he could just snap his fingers and do something like that. So uh, in my mind, you want a little bit of pressure because you want to try and get them to eat at, at a little bit of clock. I don't really think you want them to walk it up per se. You want to try and speed them up just a tad. Maybe see if you can get them to make a mistake. Cause we saw them do that two possessions prior when Iowa state was able to force a really nice turnover. So uh, the screen, I, 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 I get what you're saying. I also think, I could have told you that Baylor is just going to put their head down and try and get to the basket regardless of situation because of the way that the game was being officiated. Right. We did that the prior couple possessions to both Gilbert and Lipsy or maybe it was Lipsy twice. It was literally just put your head down and we're going to get a whistle and we did it. Okay, we couldn't convert on every free throw, but it was a successful possession in my mind. So uh, I don't know. I I think I, I get it, but I don't think it's that simple.
2: I think it just takes a while to get like, it's a long court. It's a long game. He made a life He has to be the point of attack defender on the way back. It's, it's tough to be all things like, especially when you, when you're relied on so much. Uh, and to be quite honest, I, I don't think that he should have to be relied on as much as I wish that we could delegate a little bit more so he could get more shots and not have to be the sole best defender on the team, but that's a whole nother story. But yeah, I think it was just a lot on the shoulders.
1: I think, yeah, my way of looking at it is probably a lot more in hindsight because we all saw the uh, camera shot of their coach signaling a timeout and immediately taking it back. So maybe if they're walking up the court, that timeout does happen. It was just, it was tough to see because it's just an Iowa State thing. We tie the game up. Five seconds later, we're down by two. It was just one of those things, and but it's it's whatever.
0: Did you all, what were your, okay, so we tied up, right? Were you thinking, so I had this feeling, I was like, I don't think this is going to work out for us. I don't know if you all felt that or you're like, okay, it's a tie game, let's go. We got, we got one more, like, what would rank your optimism level as they were inbounding?
1: Less than 40%. It, it, my brain works weird and it immediately went to 2015 when Kenny Cherry hit a floater with about two seconds left after. Bryce is Jones hit a three to take the lead. That was the same scenario that popped in my head. I was like, oh, no. And then the ball screen happened. He was going downhill and he finished. I did have hope that we would get a good shot off. I didn't know it was going to be that good. But, yeah, it was less than
2: 40% once we tied the game. I was like a 7 out of 10. I'm surprised you weren't as optimistic as I was.
1: I just thought personally they were going to get a foul call the way the game was going that they were going to not quote unquote bail them out, but they're going to drive down with like a second left and get fouled. There was a foul. He just happened to finish it. But it just seemed like one of those games where we're like, we're, we can't blame the refs because they gave us so many calls and those technical fouls that we were just upset about how the game happened. And that's kind of how it turned out. We we're just upset that we were 0.2 seconds away from going 2-0 on the road.
0: Let's let's talk about free throws for a second. So it mentioned Iowa State going 19 of 32 from the line, which is fifty-nine percent. This was their fifth straight game, not shooting above seventy percent as a team. The fifth game in a row. Not above seventy percent from the free throw. Okay. Already kind of broke it down in terms of individuals. So prior to the Texas game, Iowa State was shooting sixty-five percent from the line in losses this year. So I when I wrote my article after this game, I had Chartered kind of the following. So Baylor, we lost by two, we left 13 points on the board. BYU, we lost by 15, we left nine points on the board. OU, we lost by eight, we left three points on the board. So one of our better free throw shooting performances. AM lost by four, uh, left nine points on the board. And then Virginia Tech, nine point loss, left 11 points on the board. So you could directly tie poor free throw shooting to three losses this year, right? If, and you can make the argument for a couple more. This team. I was, uh, I was curious about the metrics in the NSA term after I saw that because I went not count out and I said, we are, we are horrendous and it's going to bite us in the butt and it has multiple times and I'm sick of it. So I went and charted. I charted the differences. Here we go. So I charted the sweet 16 participants last year. Okay. So bear with me here. In last year's Sweet 16, so obviously 16 teams, only two teams shot worse than 70% from the free throw line. That's Gonzaga and Arkansas. And both were full percentage points higher than Iowa State's 68.5%. So it's not, a, it's not an individual metric that will determine success. I'm fully aware of that. It's your success from the charity stripe. But it matters. And I thought that that was interesting because my hunch was correct. I'm like, there's no way a team gets to the second weekend Shooting free throws as poorly as we do, so I just want to get your both of your opinions on that.
1: Yeah, it's just something that they just need to work on. Like I don't know what else to say besides they have a way to fix it, and hopefully it works. It's a more mental game, I think, than just practice personally, but it also comes down to situ- uh, situation awareness. Rob Jones should not be in the game under four minutes, especially when they're looking to foul. And we saw that during the Texas game. And um, a little more mental with Gilbert and Lipsy. And we've seen Gilbert, his he's starting to get a little better. He had a rough game at Texas, but his shooting stroke is starting to look a little more on tack, especially off the dribble.
2: For me, with those free throws, I mean, Sean, I think you're 100% right. Like if we get matched up with Indiana State and Robbie Silva, like and we go and shoot nineteen to thirty two from the line, I'm not entirely confident we win that game if if we're gonna keep shooting these dwindling mid fifties numbers. Like it, it could bite us in the ass. I really don't want that to happen. This team has way too much potential to lose on free stuff
0: which is funny because they have been, and I do think this is probably the best coach team we've had in a little while of, amongst OTS and, and pro, right? Like this is a really, this is a team that knows what they're supposed to be doing and they play to their strengths really well. Okay. So it's, it's good to see them succeed. Um, I, I just would hate for this, for something like this to be the reason that we go sneaking out of the tournament. Right. Like I, I agree. I think that we're going to be super matchup dependent we're also a difficult prep, right? Like, we've talked about that. Teams that have to play against us in out-of-conference usually struggle because of our intensity. Now, odds was what? We had lost one or two non-conference games over his first two seasons, right, undefeated, and then lost maybe then just, to,
2: you know, just the UCon two tournament just, games. And oh, UConn, well, yeah. We,
0: yeah, so we lost to UConn, and then we it
2: lost the odds. National, Iowa, national well. champs, and then, like, yeah. <laughs>
0: Iowa yeah and so then we lost these two games this year whatever so there's more tape on us is what I would say so it's like okay we are we are a bad matchup for a lot of teams obviously good three point shooting teams we're gonna struggle against the fact that we could lose based off something this stupid is grinding my gears and it hasn't even happened yet like this is of all the problems to have this is easily the most fixable right like Tom you but, but we can all
2: that. see it we can right. all see it though
0: so so then Nate, that brings up the question, right? You you were involved with the team for a while. So if you all right, bring us back to when you're on the team and you guys shoot, you know, ten of thirty, okay, from the free throw line and you lose by five to someone. What what does that week look like? How do you as a player, what are people doing things differently? Or is it being talked about, or is it just like, hey Bob, maybe ten extra today?
2: I think so. I can't remember if we lost to at Texas, uh eighteen nineteen, they had like Jackson Hayes and Bab collided on a lob play and they both ended up being out for the game. And that was like when everyone first saw Jericho Sims because he was the backup at the time. And I think we lost that game on free throws, if I'm not mistaken. Otherwise, uh, there was another one that we one of the one of our road games we just we botched on free throws. And it was like at the end of every segment in practice. So like you go from Hey, this is our warm-up stuff. Then we're going to play some five-on-zero. We're going to go over some plays, uh, some live defense, rebounding, whatever that is. In bet- all those switches. There'd be ten free throws. Like you're tired after the drill, make them while you're tired. You gotta, you not stop until you make ten. That's that's how we did. It. We, we had partners, and yeah, it was it was pretty easy. I mean, I was with geez, yeah, I was with Zion Griffin that year. It was a fun year. Good memories.
0: So, okay. So it's worked into practice, right? And yeah. Does it, and
2: it's does and it... into individual workouts too. Like after every transition from like, hey, we're going to shoot mid range, you know, finishes, three pointers, there's also going to be free throws involved in between those segments as well. Okay. So everything for the whole week, you're going to be shooting a shit ton of free throws. But my question is in this case
0: where you do lose because of free throws, is it talked about? Is it brought up? And do you do anything differently?
2: I think that, no, that was our change. Like we didn't always do that. If we had that, that's what we, that's what we would go to. Got it. Sorry. I didn't didn't think I made that clear.
0: Okay. So at least there's a sense because it just feels like, I feel like my every day, I feel like my dad, every middle school basketball coach right now, is just like grinning, just like that smile you got on your face. They're like, Oh, see, son, I told you, see, look what happens. I need you to get out in the backyard and give me 25 before bedtime. Right? Like you don't want to end up like the clones did down in Waco. So I it, like I can feel it. I, I can feel it. It's it it's not good. I don't know. Rob Jones is lost cause. Okay. I we're we're done with that. He's had chances. This is his fourth year of college basketball. He would have improved by now. Like it's not gonna change. Like we don't have Chip England in here to redo his shot like Kawhi or whatever. So it's it, it, it's we don't have that luxury. It's a
2: great enough. reference, by the way. Yeah, you like that.
0: Yeah. Best shooting coach in the world. Um so it, it, Rob Jones is done. But my issue is, is when you look back at the tape like lipsy can't go to like you can't shoot 50% from the line if you're our starting point guard. Like I'm sorry. Like you just can't. Gilbert five eight as better. It's it's it, it wasn't enough, right? In between the three of them, those are pretty much a majority of our free throws, because we had yeah, Milan was two of two, Gilbert five eight, Taiman, two of four, Bob Jones four of ten with an air ball, and then the the shot preceding the air ball was this close from being an air ball, it was uh, not ideal. And then Hassan Ward was one of two. So I don't know if there's anything we can do about it, but it's staring us in the face, and I am just worried that that's how our March visit is going to end.
1: Hey, we we can't end the Baylor game on that note though. How was the trip? How was the arena?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, So I had a coworker of mine. He's got season tickets. He had him in the old Ferrell Center and then now the, the new arena, Foster Pavilion. He was able to, to get that. So, for starters, it's like obviously it's really nice, right? Brand new. Like it still has that new construction smell, which I think is kind of bizarre, but it's not done. It's like when you walk in, I don't know if you guys have ever been to like the United Center or um, the Pepsi Center in Denver, which is now, I think, Ball Arena they have like the atrium where you walk in and there's like a statue and then there's stuff that kind of circles around it. And then you take escalators to go up to get to kind of like where everything is. Like that's how is, Yeah. 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 So it's like, you have your main atrium, you have like stuff there and people, and then you take the escalators or the stairs to go up to get to
2: kind of the main level.
0: So foster pavilion has that, but that atrium is empty. It's like you walk in and you just see the wall in front of you and there's nothing on it. It's just concrete. So, like, they have their pro shop off to the right. It's it's not done. Like, they opened it in January. So, they didn't even play there the first part of the year. And then they opened it in January. And so, you can just kind of tell that things aren't, like, where they should be. Like, the pro shop was done with their gear. Like, there's nothing on the wall. They're supposed to be setting up a Hall of Fame within it, like, on the concourse. That kind of – if you guys have ever been to TCU, it's supposed to be kind of that similar Hall of Fame feel, which is yeah. – I will say it's pretty cool. Um, so you get in and you walk up the steps, either take a right or take a left and then go up and you're on the main level. And it's well, it, they downsize from, I think like 12 or 13,000. And now it's like 7,500 is the capacity. So it's, it's tight. It's small. So they are basically they're Like my buddy was telling me, he's like, we just couldn't fill up the feral center. It just didn't matter what game we just couldn't do it. Like a Tuesday night, it just wasn't happening. So they took all that money and they're saying, don't care. We're investing in the TV stuff. Don't care how many fans are in there. We want it packed we want it loud. So what they did was they have, think about how Hilton has the mill concourse and then you go upstairs. Same idea with, um, with Foster Pavilion, except for you're on the concourse the whole way around. So if like I'm getting a, if I'm getting a drink at the concession stand, I can turn around and see kind of the floor like there's not a dividing wall like there is in Hilton. But the weirdest thing is you go up to the second level, there are no bathrooms up there and there's no concession stands. And there's, it doesn't look like there's room for them either. Like it's a really narrow catwalk that you take to get to your seat. So if you have to go to the bathroom, you got to go down to the main floor, which is where everything is. That was my biggest gripe. Second thing is, so the seats, seats itself are good. You're very close because it's so steep. And that's why you get the awful camera angle. So that camera is on top of the arena. Like that is that is the highest point in the arenas where that camera sits. If it was on the main floor, kind of like, you know, where the TV cameras at Hilton, I think it would be too low. So it's this weird balance between like, do you want an angle where you're, you're like at the final four and like nobody loves, likes that camera angle either. Or you get the one where you look like you're in still water where you're floating, you're looking down at everyone's bald spot. Like it's just not a great, there's not a great in between. Um, But it's it's loud, right? So their sound system is like deafening, and I and I wrote about it, and it kind of felt like it's because, like, not that Baylor fans are bad. I think it's like I think it's just it's just different. I know you're laughing, but I it's it's just different, right? It, to me, it felt They're like just
2: not loud enough. <laughs> why
0: is <why doesn't laughs> pumping
2: in crowd noise? <laughs>
0: why does the guy drive the really massive, large pickup truck? Huh? Why? You don't have to answer that, but I'm just saying that's what it felt. Like, okay. So you're sitting in there and all of their speakers are up above their jumbotron in the middle. And it's really nice. And like the music is really loud and you're like, yeah, all right, let's play some basketball. And then even during a timeout, like the guy's doing an ad read and you're like, oh, holy shit. Like, Good God. Like, can someone turn this down? I don't need to hear about like the official ladder of baylor athletics like can we just relax a little bit So, like the music part i had no problem with but there's no off switch to that thing and it was it's pretty funny because i same buddy that took me his his dad's older and he's like he brought earplugs last time and it wasn't because of the crap <laughs> jesus so anyways it was it was a good experience they're like their concession stand everything's everything's new and it makes me feel like Hilton is so behind on all the amenities and stuff that we have, like from a utilities perspective, like it makes our old outdated cash registers look like a typewriter compared to a laptop. And you're like half slapping your card down on the table. You're picking it out on the touchscreen and then you just grab it and go. And I'm like, okay, this is how concession stands need to be all the time. Um, they have like the, the, metal detector lists like you just where you just walk through and there's not like an actual medical or a, a metal detector so that well, I mean, we don't have that at all which is i don't know how we get away with that but it's great but they have like you just walk between the two sensors you don't take anything out of your pocket and they're just like yep good to go so i think they're just worried about you carrying a piece in there anyways because it's Waco, but you know who knows so um Fans were fans were good. The lady next to me was like shrieking the entire time, like the really high pit. And I'm like, I, I could do it without that, but she was champ for her team, so I don't have anything against that. Their their intro is cool. Like they do the fire, the flames for for the uh, guys when they come out in their intro video. I always have respect for this. It's like really, really like national championship centered. Which I mean, come on, if you've won one within the last twenty years, that needs to be everywhere. So like part of me was a little little peanut butter and jelly about that because it wasn't like oh you guys are living in the past I was like yeah that was in twenty twenty like I would I would put that on every single piece of anything that we had like national champs twenty twenty
2: like put it on my shoulder put it on my sleeve put it in the video um, they should have won two if it wasn't for COVID
0: oh they yeah were tired of yeah. the year
2: before oh like yeah way better
0: yeah no they probably they probably would have gone back to back. A lot of guys thinking that Iowa State was cheating on the way out. I could tell you that. A lot of guys who thought that our refs were – the refs were in our pockets. And I'm like, listen, if they were in our pockets, you guys should have just paid more. I'm just, I'm, we're, we're, we're a land-grant school. You guys could probably do better. <laughs> like, if that's, if that's what we've come to, that's fine. And I jokingly told my buddy, I was like, hey, when I went to go to the bathroom before the game started, I actually went down the floor and slipped uh, the stripes of 20. So, like, you're welcome
2: if we were paying the rest, wouldn't have we won?
0: That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. I feel like they would have had more time there,
2: but yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that shot probably counts at the end, huh?
0: Yeah. No, no, I know. The, finding out after the fact about the memo stuff was kind of funny. Like it was weak. That, that second technical was so soft. Like there's, you can't really debate that. The anger from the crowd though, carried over almost too much. Every whistle after that was wrong, even though it was right. Right. Like, like I, I could, you could identify the basketball fans I could just, let me just put it that way. Like the people that are sitting there, you get, you know, the half nod going. I'm like, that guy knows ball. That guy knows ball. That guy knows ball. So good experience. Questions, comments, or concerns from the crowd. Your last you comment
1: kind of goes into one of my questions, how they're fans on like a scale of one to 10. What is the ball knowledge range? Cause I'm always interested with that. Because it seems like Iowa State's a pretty good, like I would say like six or seven. There is a couple people that kind of you know get mad at the refs a lot. But I'm interested to know what Baylor is like, especially them winning a national championship recently.
0: I so I've all lump in football too, since I've been to two Iowa State Baylor football games. Um I I would say if if Kansas is a ten and we are a seven, then Baylor is a f- five. TCU is like a three I my fiance went to TCU I will gladly say that to her face the apathy in Fort Worth is unreal but um yeah it it was not not great like you didn't walk out being like damn like really smart crowd you know like really had their stuff together
2: apologies if uh this table starts shaking my dogs under here (laughs) but yeah uh If, from my experience, uh, ball knowledge wise, I think that's pretty accurate. I'd also put a I put K State really low on that though. Like, uh, (laughs) I knew that was coming. I was
0: really well. You hate Bramwich though. Like, if you you really think the fans are that bad,
2: when even when they were filling it up like 10% capacity, maybe one percent knew what they're talking about.
1: I don't think it helps that their student sections in the camera shot. Students are known for not understanding sports most of the time. So when they're in the camera shot and they're always, they're going, they're confused with a kickball or why the shot clock's at 24 and why it's not at 24, like the NBA. Like, I feel like that doesn't help out either, but it doesn't surprise me. I knew that K-State comment was coming from a mile
0: away. Oh yeah. The office building. Yeah. Yeah. We know. Yep. Yeah. All right. So last thing real quick, I, I will say, it was super confusing being there in the building. And I like to think that I know a little bit about what I'm talking about for the most part. Like we had, I had no idea. Like the first one you could see that he got teed up, but I just, everyone just assumed it's because he said something and and you know, everyone's doing this where they're kind of waving their hands like, Oh, you know, whatever, you know, whatever ref, like, you know, take it easy. And then the second one, when Scott drew got ejected, was you had absolutely no way of knowing because like we talked about, he was barely over the line. It wasn't like he was out on the court like gesturing or doing something. so and there's no explanation given, which drives me absolutely insane. Like the people in the arena should have some like we need to be notified if something is happening, right? like there has to be some sort of explanation given even if the pa even if the PA guy is saying, it's a technical file on Scott drew for leaving the coach's box. He has been ejected. Like it doesn't need to be some super long explanation. It just needs to be the matter of fact. Like this is what happened. And, and Nate, we were talking about this in the group chat too. It's, it's not just a basketball thing. It's a football thing too. So it was just, it was frustrating because I think that almost made the, it definitely made the crowd angrier, right? Cause no one had any idea. People just thought that the ref was being soft. And turns out he was, but for just a weird reason. And then the second one, I, we didn't, no one knew what happened. It was just, okay, there, there's another tech. Like, what happened? What did the coach say something? Because when you watch back on TV, I, I, I do not know what he says because you, I don't, the coach was talking to his bench when he got hit with the tech. That's what I think is, I don't know if you guys saw that, but it was really, really confusing. Yeah. Tom,
2: what's yeah, you, what do you think about that?
1: I didn't see it anywhere. I do think it is super confusing and they are starting to set up ref mics for like ESPN plus streams where they speak into it for the people watching. I don't quite understand why they just don't like double that. So people in the arena can also hear that. I feel like that would help a lot. Or like what you said, the PA announcer, just say like seven to 10 words about what
2: happened. It feels like a simple solution. The reason I love the NBA is because when they do those announcements, like when Scott Foster goes to the mic, they put it on the video board too. Yep. It's really not that hard to have a webcam on the back of a monitor that they were just looking at with the microphone and just have that synced up to the video board. Sean, is the the question I had for you is uh, does Baylor have a? Is it a like a jumbotron or do they just have video boards on the sides?
0: So jumbotron in the middle. So I think hill, and then they have two yep. screens on. Oh wait. No, they just have the ones on the side. So they don't have the jumbotron. So that's
2: why I'm saying really? yeah, so they have
0: the one up on the so basically in the end zones. They have two. And they're these. So they
2: treat it like football more than it's a basketball arena.
0: Correct. Yes.
2: Okay. So that's like, interesting because either way, that's point still stands. Sorry, Tom.
1: Yeah, no, you're good. Because Texas new arena, they have the jumbotron in the middle and then the two on the side. And it's then still they still have one up top that's around, kind of just does whatever it wants it shows like highlights shows people like talking about the team or whatever i do you know those are tarps right
2: oh really that's that's actually a second level that they tarp Mm -hmm. up and then that turns into a like a projector screen pretty much i like shout out to texas the one thing they
1: did right there good for them
0: well it's it's for concerts right like the arena it for to make sure that the biggest acts will have a place to play in Austin. And so it was designed for that specifically. And then of course it's a basketball rant, too. So, anyways. All right. We have talked about this game for way too long. Okay, let's well, spend 10 minutes on Texas and then get out of here. So Iowa State beats Texas 70 to 65. Uh, really the story of this game, if I had to dwindle down, is Iowa State takes a 49 to 31 lead in the second half. It almost blows it. it, gets all the way down to five-point mark with Roughly four minutes to go. Uh, Dylan Sioux, really the engine for Texas in the second half. He had 28 total points in the game, on 10 of 19 shooting and 10 rebounds. Really was unconscious there during that last stretch of the second half that brought things really close. He was really good. Speaking of really good, uh, Tyrese Hunter had zero points, zero of eight from the field, three rebounds, and seven assists. So. Uh, he was good working on his future plumber skills there on the bench. I'm sure he will be next year or next game, uh, UT. So 37% from the field average from three, they only made three threes. So only shot 21% against Iowa state's notor- notoriously bad three point defense, which I think is a story as well. So let's start there. Um, Nate, what'd you see when you're watching the other night?
2: Uh, one didn't see much. The first half. Thanks. Longhorn network. Uh, thank God we don't do that anymore. Um, honestly, if I had a couple takeaways from this game is really, uh, I want to give a shout out to one of my old managers, uh, Rudy cuss. He's was, on um, what the program His saying was first team of six, nine wins. It's the case for both of these games. Baylor got to 70. We got to 70. It's right. Every time, uh, question I have for you guys though which had more zeros Tyrese Hunter against us or his paycheck to go to Texas.
1: Oh, it's a mean question, but it's a good
0: one. Okay. Okay. Just a thought. All right. All right. I don't think I need to answer because it's rhetorical, but I think we know the answer. Equal. Sure. Sure. Tom, hit me. What you got?
1: So the main takeaway from this, and I kind of did some research after it, was I focused on the blown lead part and what happened in the final three minutes that led to us squeaking out the victory. And I think the answer is Tame Lipsy. Of the last four possessions, Lipsy had it twice for more than 10 seconds. And on those two possessions, we scored from the field. The other one led to a Milan free throw where he went one for two. and. There was. You could even add in a third one where he touched the ball. I have it as seven seconds that led to the Trey King miss dunk, which was not fun to watch live. But in the two possessions, I touched the ball for more than 10 seconds. He ended up with a three-pointer, which was a huge shot, and where he lost the ball for a second, had to regroup and then knock it down. And then the other one, a pick-and-roll with Trey King that led to the dunk and then a timeout from Texas. So Tame and Lipsy freshman year doesn't do that a perfect example is the 23 point lead to texas tech where they kind of went in bully mode on him and the stats i dug up from last year in 2023 we had four losses where we had a 10 point or more lead for example right here we had a 23 point lead against tech we lost 16 point lead against oklahoma state lost 11 at home against oklahoma lost 10 on the road against k-state lost Right there, that is awful, and that has to do with Caleb Grill not being able to dribble a basketball, and that happens to deal with our freshman point guard Taman Lipsy at the time. This year, we're four and one, with the only loss being to Texas A&M, where we had a twenty-one point lead. And right here, the four and one part is us having more than a ten-point lead, the other team coming back to tie it, and we end up winning. Twelve-point lead against Kansas, one. Twelve-point lead against Houston, one. 19 point lead against TCU one and now 18 point lead against Texas one. So there are some numbers for you. I hope I was able to say that and you guys kind of understood. But I, it's Tame and Lipsy, another year under his belt. Caleb Grill not on the roster, and Curtis Jones who can dribble the ball and make free throws when it matters, like the two he made to ice the game with six seconds
2: left.
0: Somewhere Caleb. I'll add, Sean.
2: Can I get right before you say that? Gabe sure not being the streakiest shooter ever helps too, compared the, to compare yes. with Sean Gilbert, but yeah, yes. that's all I got. Thanks. For, sorry, sorry.
0: Some somewhere. Caleb Grill is just like eating dinner and he's like, someone just talked shit about me. I feel like someone did. He just feel is sense it.
2: He couldn't, no, dribble.
0: It he couldn't dribble the well, ball. I mean, we know. Yeah. He's not doing, he's not doing it in Missouri either. I think he's hurt, but um, so I, my, my answer to that and you essentially said it is offensive efficiency up from this year versus last year, right? Nate talking about culture. We actually have guys who we can run on to make shots. That's, I think that's the gist of it. I'm surprised you didn't mention uh TCU more thoroughly because that was a game that we, we essentially ran out of time in the right way in that game, right? Like if that game goes another minute, we probably don't win, right? And that's a game that we didn't have whipsy.
1: Yeah, I do think I did say that at some point we had a 19 point yeah. lead. They came back. I don't think they initially tied it, but then that huge block by Watson, blah, 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 came out on top. And that's a big story of this team. We're able to finish, which is huge, especially when you come down to March.
0: I had the thought um, before this game that Iowa State is just perennially going to struggle with teams that can shoot the ball well. And Texas is one of those teams. So if you look at their numbers, obviously we talked about the 37% number from three. Um, So they're the 33rd best in terms of three point percentage in all the NCAA. We talked about BYU being a a bad matchup for Iowa state as well. And we'll see about Texas tech too. So I am surprised that we looked as in command as we were able to against Texas, especially with a team that can get hot and does pretty often. Um, So I don't know if there's something specific that we were doing differently. Texas doesn't like to shoot threes a ton, but they are good at it, right? Like they're very similar to Baylor. That's another reason why Iowa State had so much trouble against Baylor. They made 12 threes, right? Baylor's best 3.2 shooting team in the country. So I don't know if there's something that we were doing differently. I also had trouble watching the first half. Uh, I know in the second half that things looked fine. So Nate, I
2: don't know if you want to weigh in on that. Honestly, uh, it's the fact that we let one guy really go off on us and it was the forward. That says a lot about how good our guards played defensively. I mean, yeah. Max a. Smith, I wasn't he a preseason, like Big 12 player of the year? Right? Am I not missed? Am I losing my mind? Three of, Both of us
1: are shaking our heads. I, I do think you're correct there. And he's in the top yeah. 10 all time leading scorer for the NCAA.
0: Him, him or Dickinson.
2: Yeah, I mean, we held him to 3 of 11. DeSue's going to be a first-round NBA player this year. I'm not mad at how we played at all on the defensive end. I thought, honestly, if we could improve anything, it'd be offensively, and that's relatively easy to do, just make shots.
0: Just make shots. Wow. That's
2: an Great shots analysis. Master. Sorry, I mean,
0: yeah. <laughs> this guy, are you kidding me? This guy had this in his back pocket the entire time. We are hearing about this in February.
2: In 2024, too. Sorry, I should probably needed that for two and twenty-two, right? Oh
0: no, goodness gracious! So, I don't know if they if we learned a ton about our team. So, from a takeaways perspective, Tom, I did actually really appreciate that. That's good analysis and insight. I don't know if there's something that we take away from this game out of what we learned against Baylor, right? Like the Baylor storyline was essentially the refs being really strange and then us not capitalizing on free throws. It's pretty well documented. You one of those things happens, you know, you probably won the game. Texas is a little bit different, right? Like I felt like it was a little bit more in terms of the standard flow of the status quo. We're kind of like, yeah, we are the better team. I felt that way going into tonight or last night and it showed, right? We are, we are better coached. I think Rodney, Terry, I don't know what they were thinking hiring him, but there's no way he's going to be sticking around for more than another year. If this is the way things are going. Um, Peace out to the Longhorn Network. Good riddance. We, I would say we hardly knew ye, but we knew ye a little bit too well. So I'm, I'm glad to be done with that.
2: I think we broke up at the right time.
1: Some mutual parting ways, to say the least.
0: Yeah, good luck in the SEC. Anyways. All right. Um, we're, we're about time. We'll talk about TCU real fast. Okay. So let's do about three minutes on TCU. So Iowa State is a seven point favorite, according to Ken Palm. TCU just lost to Texas, the same team, 77 to 33, or excuse me, 77 to 66. Uh, Texas out rebounded TCU 34 to 21. Uh, TCU, again, favorable matchup for Iowa State based on the numbers. 332nd in three point attempts, uh, 215th in turnover percentage. And we all know what happened last time we played 27 turnovers for TCU. And they play fast, right? They like to get up and down. They don't like to shoot the three. So really, they kind of check the boxes analytically to be, I would say it should be their worst nightmare. It's It should be the team that they want to play against least in the entire conference. right? Houston's, of course, up there too, but you could say that for everyone. So what do we think about TCU? For me,
1: it's Rob Jones. I want to see where the confidence is. You're back home with a crowd that has loved you for the most part. That you've been a cyclone. Uh TCU's post, the transfer from Kansas. I'm blanking on his name. He's not that good. He averages maybe three game. Yes. So this, I'm not saying it needs to be a Rob Jones game. I'm saying you just need to produce two or four from the line, just something. Cause he's done well this season facing big guys that aren't really good. Against Iowa, he had 18 and six, and Oklahoma, he had twelve and seven. And I think he was the lean scorer that game. So it's it's not like he gets shut down by everybody and it's not like we not don't need him to get shut down. We just need him to do his part and just keep his confidence cuz when he is flying high the team it just you can just tell there's a lot more energy everywhere, the crowd digs into it more. So that's what I'm looking at just just give me a little something to know that the confidence
2: isn't all the way low from Robert. I think we're going to see good games out of both the bigs, Bob and and ward i think this matchup plays a lot to ward style it's going to be a fast game there's going to be a lot of mistakes made because it's going to be that fast of a game uh sean what do you say seven and a half points
0: seven yeah 77 yeah. 70.
2: i i like us to win by more than that i think the crowd is going to invoke more turnovers i think it's going to be a little rowdy and uh yeah i think i mean what is our Ken ten percent chance for us to win is is what number, but ESPN has an 84% chance to win based on their BPI. I like those numbers, man. I think we'll be just fine.
0: Ken 78. Yeah. Great numbers. So I think, um, I I think we're going to see about a bounce back game from Baylor. I would just love, honestly, if we could show some success at the line, so first and foremost, that's the first thing I'm looking for. Is it a point of emphasis? Is it being worked on? Is this something that we can deem as fixable and work on fixing it, right? It's not going to be perfect, but is there an emphasis on getting to the line and, and converting? Secondly, I think the matchup between Iowa State's guards and TCU's guards will be great. TCU's guards are not going to turn over as much as they did in that first game. I, I, I know, Nate, that you're saying that we could potentially look at something similar. I think that Jameer Nelson Jr., Avery Anderson – probably going to give this team a little more fits than they did last time. Cause they're going to be
2: ready for the pressure. And, and Oh yeah. No, not, not to the same extremes. Yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah. So I, I think, but we get Lipsy back, right. And that's kind of the, that's where I'm at. I think that that plus is bigger than the, the plus of TCU saying, all right, we've got the tape. We understand what it's like and prepare accordingly. So I still like the clones by, by somewhere around the five to 10 mark.
1: Yeah. Like I would state by, I would say around nine points. It does scare me that this could be like a Jameer Nelson has 25 points and he's like somebody's just carrying their team, kind of like PV was on that comeback. But I don't see a way we lose this game with a matchup back home, home rims, helping out free throws a little bit. I just don't see a way we lose.
0: Okay. Well, there you have it. Um, 53 minutes for the three of us today. This is a great one. Um, Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week on Offensively Offensive.
2: Go Cyclones!